Book Six, Chapter Two of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This reading by Anka. Camilla, or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney, Chapter Two: The Pantiles. A servant tapped early at the door of Camilla the next morning to acquaint her that a lady who called herself the person that had been so much obliged to her the preceding day begged the honour of being admitted. Camilla was sorry, after the suspicions of Mrs. Albury, that she did not send up her name, yet, already partially disposed, her prepossession was not likely to be destroyed by the figure that now appeared a beautiful young creature with an air of the most attractive softness eyes of the most expressive loveliness and a manner which by every look and every motion announced a soul tremblingly alive glided gently into the room and advancing with a graceful confidence of kindness took both her hands and pressing them to her heart said what happiness so soon to have found you to be able to pour forth all the gratitude i owe you and the esteem with which i am already inspired Camilla was struck with admiration and pleasure, and gave way to the most lively delight at the fortunate accident which occasioned her walking out in a place entirely unknown to her, declaring she should ever look back to that event as to one of the marked blessings of her life. "'If you,' answered the fair stranger, "'have the benevolence thus to value our meeting, how should it be appreciated by one who is so eternally indebted to it? I had not perceived the approach of that person.' he broke in upon me when least a creature so ungenial was present to my thoughts i was reading a letter from the most amiable of friends the most refined perhaps of human beings camilla impatient for some explanation answered i hope at least that friend will be spared hearing of your alarm i hope so for his own griefs already overwhelm him never may it be my sad lot to wound where i mean only to console at the words his own Camilla felt herself blush. She had imagined it was some female friend. She now found her mistake, and knew not what to imagine next. "'I had retired,' she continued, from the glare of company and the weight of uninteresting conversation, to read, at leisure and in solitude, this dear letter, heart-breaking from its own woes, heart-soothing to mine. In a place such as this seclusion is difficult. I drove some miles off and ordered my carriage to wait in the high road while I strolled alone upon the common. I delight in a solitary ramble by moonlight. I can then indulge in uninterrupted rumination and solace my melancholy by pronouncing aloud such sentences and such names as in the world I cannot utter. How exquisitely sweet do they sound to ears unaccustomed to such vibrations! Camilla was all astonishment and perplexity a male friend so beloved who seemed to be neither father brother nor husband a carriage at her command though without naming one relation to whom either that or herself might belong and sentiments so tender she was almost ashamed to listen to them all conspired to excite a wonder that painfully prayed for relief and in the hope to obtain it with some hesitations she said I should have sought you myself this morning for the pleasure of inquiring after your safety, but that I was ignorant by what name to make my search. 
the fair unknown looked down for a moment with an air that showed a perfect consciousness of the inquiry meant by this speech but turning aside the embarrassment it seemed to cause her she presently raised her head and said i had no difficulty to find you for my servant happily made his inquiry at once at this hotel disappointed and surprised by this evasion camilla saw now an evident mystery but knew not how to press forward any investigation she began therefore to speak of other things and her fair guest who had every mark of an education rather sedulously than naturally cultivated joined readily in a conversation less personal they did not speak of tunbridge of public places nor diversions their themes all chosen by the stranger were friendship confidence and sensibility which she illustrated and enlivened by quotations from favourite poets aptly introduced and feelingly recited yet always uttered with a sigh and an air of tender melancholy camilla was now in a state so depressed that notwithstanding her native vivacity she fell as imperceptibly into the plaintive style of a new acquaintance who seemed habitually pensive as if sympathy rather than accident had brought them together yet when chance led to some mention of the adventure of the preceding evening and the lady made again an animated eulogium of the friend whose letter she was perusing she hazarded with an half smile saying i hope for his own sake this friend is some sage and aged personage oh no she answered he is in the bloom of youth camilla again a little disconcerted paused and the lady went on it was in wales i first met him upon a spot so beautiful that painting can never do it justice i have made however a little sketch of it which some day or other i will shew you if you will have the goodness to let me see more of you camilla could not refrain from an eager affirmative and the conversation was then interrupted by a message from mrs albury who was breakfasted in her own room to announce that she was going out lodging-hunting camilla would rather have remained with her new acquaintance better adapted to her present turn of mind than mrs albury but this was impossible and the lovely stranger hastened away saying she would call herself the next morning to shew the way to her house where she hoped they might pass together many soothing and consolatory hours camilla found mrs albury by no means in her usual high spirits the opening of her tunbridge campaign had so far from answered its trouble and expense that she heartily repented having quitted the grove the officers either were not arrived in the neighbourhood or were wholly engaged in military business camilla instead of contributing to the life of the excursion seemed to hang heavily both upon that and upon herself and sir sedley clarendell whose own proposition had brought it to bear had not yet made his appearance though lodging in the same hotel thus vexatiously disappointed she was ill disposed to listen with pleasure to the history camilla thought it indispensable to relate of her recent visit and in answer to all praise of this fair incognita only replied by asking her name and connections camilla felt extremely foolish in confessing she had not yet learned them mrs albury then laughed unmercifully at her commendations but concluded with saying follow however your own humour i hate to torment or be tormented only take care not to be seen with her camilla rejoiced she did not exact any further restriction and hoped all raillery would soon be set aside by an honourable explanation 
they now repaired to the pantiles where the gay company and gay shops afforded some amusement to camilla and to miss dennell a wonder and delight that kept her mouth open and her head jerked from object to object so incessantly that she saw nothing distinctly from the eagerness of her fear lest anything should escape her mrs albury meeting with an old acquaintance in the bookseller's shop there sat down with him while the two young ladies loitered at the window of a toy-shop struck with just admiration of the beauty and ingenuity of the tunbridge ware it presented to their view till camilla in a party of young men who were strolling down the pantiles and who went into the bookseller's shop distinguished the offender of the fair unknown to avoid following or being recollected by a person so odious to her she entered the toy-shop with miss dennell where she amused herself till mrs albury came in search of her in selecting such various little articles for purchase as she imagined would amount to about half a crown but which were put up for her at a guinea this a little disconcerted her though as she was still unusually rich from mr tyrold's having advanced her next quarterly allowance she consoled herself that they would serve for little keepsakes for her sisters and her cousin yet she determined when next she entered a shop for convenience to put nothing apart as a buyer till she had inquired its price the assaulter lord newford a young nobleman of the ton after taking a staring survey of everything and everybody around and seeing no one of more consequence followed mrs albury with whom formerly he had been slightly acquainted to the toy-shop he asked her how she did without touching his hat and how long she had been at tunbridge without waiting for an answer and said he was happy to have the pleasure of seeing her without once looking at her to his first sentence mrs albury made a civil answer but repenting it upon the two sentences that succeeded she heard them without seeming to listen and fixing her eyes upon him when he had done coolly said pray have you seen anything of my servant lord newford somewhat surprised replied no do look for him then cried she negligently there's a good man lord newford a little piqued and a little confused at feeling so said he should be proud to obey her and turning short off to his companion cried come offy why dost loiter where shall we ride this morning and taking him by the arm quitted the pantiles mrs albury laughing heartily now felt her spirits a little revive i dote she cried upon meeting now and then with insolence for i have a little taste for it myself which i make some conscience of not indulging unprovoked they then proceeded to the milliner's to equip themselves for going to the rooms at night mrs albury and miss dennell who were both rich gave large orders camilla indifferent to everything except to avoid appearing in a manner that might disgrace her party told the milliner to choose for her what she thought fashionable that was most reasonable she was soon fitted up with what was too pretty to disapprove and desiring immediately to pay her bill found it amounted to five guineas though she had imagined she should have change out of two she had only six and some silver but was ashamed to dispute or desire any alteration she paid the money and only determined to apply to another person than the seller when next she wanted anything reasonable mrs albury now ordered the carriage and they drove to mount pleasant where she hired a house for the season to which they were to remove the next day 
in the evening they went to the rooms where the decidedly fashionable mien and matter of mrs arbury attracted more general notice and admiration than the youthful captivation of camilla or the pretty face and expensive attire of miss dennell dressed by the milliner of the day camilla could not fail to pass uncensured at least with respect to her appearance but her eyes wanted their usual lustre from the sadness of her heart and she never looked less herself nor to less advantage the master of the ceremonies brought to her sir theophilus gerard but as she had seen him the companion of lord newford to whom she had conceived a strong aversion she declined dancing he looked surprised but rather offended than disappointed and with a little laugh half contemptuous as if ashamed of having offered himself stalked away so sadly clarendel was now sauntering into the room mrs albury willing to shew her young friend in a favourable point of view to him though more from pique at his distance than from any thought at that moment of camilla told her she must positively accept sir theophilus whose asking her must be regarded as a particular distinction for he was notoriously a man of the ton and heedless of her objections told mr dennell to call him back how can i do that said mr dennell after seeing her refuse him with my own eyes oh nobody cares about a man's eyes said mrs albury go and tell him miss tyrold has changed her mind and chooses to dance as to her changing her mind he answered that's likely enough but i don't see how it's any reason i should go of a fool's errand foo foo go directly or you shan't dine before eight o'clock for the whole tunbridge season nay said mr dennell who had a horror of late hours if you will promise we shall dine more in reason yes yes cried mrs albury hurrying him off notwithstanding the reiterated remonstrances of camilla see my dear she then added laughing how many weapons you must have in use if you would govern that strange animal called man yet never despair of victory for depend upon it there is not one of the race that with a little address you may not bring to your feet camilla who had no wish but for one single votary and whose heart was sunk from her failure in obtaining that one listened with so little interest or spirit that mrs albury quite provoked resolved not to throw away another idea upon her for the rest of the evening and therefore as her niece went completely and constantly for nothing with her she spoke no more till to her great relief she was joined by general kinsell mr dennell returned with an air not more pleased with his embassy than her own appeared with her auditress the gentlemen he said had joined two others and they were all laughing so violently together that he could not find an opportunity to deliver his message for they seemed as if they would only make a joke of it mrs albury then saw that he had got between lord newford and sir sedley and that they were all three amusing themselves without ceremony or disguise at the expense of every creature in the room up and down which they strolled arm in arm looking familiarly at everybody but speaking to nobody whispering one another in hoarse low voices and then laughing immoderately loud while nothing was distinctly heard but from time to time what in the world is become of mrs burlington to-night or else how stupid the rooms are without lady alithia mrs albury who like the rest of the world saw her own defects in as glaring colours and criticised them 
with as much animated ridicule as those of her neighbours when exhibited by others no sooner found she was neglected by the set than she raved against the prevailing ill-manners of the leaders in the ton with as much asperity of censure as if never for a moment betrayed herself by fashion by caprice nor by vanity to similar foibles yet after all cried she presently to see fools behave like fools i am well content i have no anger therefore against lord newford nor sir tophilus gerard if they were not noticed for being impertinent how could they expect to be noticed at all when there is but one line that can bring them forward i rather respect them that they have found it out but what shall we say to sir sedley clarendel a man as much their superior in capacity as in powers of pleasing tis a miserable thing my dear general to see the dearth of character there is in the world pope has bewailed it in women believe me he might have extended his lamentation you may see indeed one man grave and another gay but with no more mark or likelihood no more distinction of colouring than what simply belongs to a dismal face or a merry one and with just as little light and shade just as abrupt a skip from one to the other as separates inevitably the old man from the young one we are almost all my good general of a nature so pitifully plastic that we act from circumstances and are fashioned by situation then laughing at her own pique general she added shall i make you a confession i am not at all sure if that wretched sir sedley had behaved as he ought to have done and been at my feet all the evening that i should not at this very moment be amused in the same manner that he is himself yet it would be very abominable i own this is candid however oh we all acknowledge our faults now tis the mode of the day but the acknowledgment passes for current payment and therefore we never amend them on the contrary they take but deeper root by losing all chance of concealment yet i am vexed to see that odious sir sedley shew so silly a passion for being a man of the ton as to suffer himself to be led in a string by those two poor paltry creatures who are not more troublesome as fops than tiresome as fools merely because they are better known than himself upon the turf and at the clubs here she was joined by lord orlerney and the honourable mr ormsby and in the next saunter of the tunnish triumvirs lord newford suddenly seeing with whom she was associated stopped and looking at her with an air of surprise exclaimed god bless me mrs albury i hope you are perfectly well infinitely indebted to your lordship's solicitude she answered rather sarcastically but without noticing her manner he desired to be one in her tea-party which she was then rising to form she accepted the offer with a glance of consciousness at the general who as he conducted her said i did not expect so much grace would so immediately have been accorded alas my dear general what can one do these tonish people cordially as i despise them lead the world and if one has not a few of them in one's train twere as well turn hermit however mark how we will fare with me but don't judge from the opening she now made his lordship so many gay compliments and mingled so much personal civility with the general entertainment of her discourse that as soon as they rose from tea he professed his intention of sitting by her for the rest of the evening she immediately declared herself tired to death of the rooms and calling upon miss Denell and camilla abruptly made her exit the general again her conductor asked how she could leave thus a conquest so newly made i leave she answered only to secure it 
He will be piqued that I should go, and that pique will keep me in his head till to-morrow. Tis well, my dear General, to put anything there. But if I had stayed a moment longer, my contempt might have broken forth into satire, or my weariness into yawning, and I should then inevitably have been cut by the ton party for the rest of the season. Miss Dennell, who had been dancing, and was again engaged to dance, remonstrated against retiring so soon, but Mrs. Albury had a regular system never to listen to her. Camilla, whom nothing had diverted, was content to retreat. At the door stood Sir Sedley Clarendall, who, as if now first perceiving them, said to Mrs. Albury, "'Ah, my fair friend, and how long have you been at the wells?' "'Intolerable wretch!' cried she, taking him apart. "'Is it thus you keep your conditions?' Did you draw me into bringing this poor love-sick thing with me, only to sigh me into the vapours? My dear madam, exclaimed he, in a tone of expostulation, who can think of the same scheme two days together? Could you possibly form a notion of anything so patriarchal? Before they retired to their chambers at the hotel, Camilla told Mrs. Albury how shocking to her was the sight, much more any acquaintance with Lord Newford, who was the person that had so much terrified the lady she had met on their journey. Mrs. Albury assured her he should be exiled her society, if, upon investigation, he was found the aggressor, but while there appeared so much mystery in the complaint and the conduct of this unknown lady, she should postpone his banishment. Camilla was obliged to submit, but scarce rested till she saw again her new favourite the next morning. End of chapter 2